Since tonight in the infamous BTK serial killer case, authorities in Oklahoma say Dennis Rader is the prime suspect in at least two unsolved cases. Tonight at 10 o'clock on News Nation's Ashley Banfield, she'll look at a new proposal in Australia to use truth serum on serial killers. Should it happen here in the U.S.? Could it help with some of these cases? She's going to talk about it uh, tonight on the show. But right now, uh, it's On Balance next with Leland Vitter. He'll be joined by Jason Miller, one of former President Trump's top advisors. I'm Brian Enton for now. We'll see you tomorrow night. On the program tonight, locked and loaded, American women take up arms at a record pace. I conceal carry because I want to feel safe. I want to be able to protect myself. How America's crime epidemic pushes people who never thought about owning firearms to the range. Food stamps at Harvard. America's richest university says its graduate students should apply for food stamps. How about reaching into Harvard's 50 plus billion dollar endowment? Will anything bring back the fundamental fairness of the American economy? Culture shift. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat. How the rule values of country lyrics and images of America's West and Yellowstone explain something America's politicians miss. What you're going to do first? We think I'm going to do. You're all fired. Plus, they knew as COVID cases rise, new evidence China silenced doctors about the pandemic exploding in Wuhan is the same thing happening with the Chinese-funded California Biolab. It's a fascinating little house of horrors that I walked into when I went through it. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight from Washington. We're going to look back at the debate, the Republican debate, as the casting call of the irrelevance. I am talking about tonight in Milwaukee, of course, because the most important person in the Republican primary isn't there. And no, I am not talking about Donald Trump. Hopefully now I have your attention. The most important person in the Republican primary isn't in the Republican primary yet. It's Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Just a quick reminder on who he is. Youngkin won the state of Virginia by about two points, one year after President Biden won by 10 points. In other words, he turned a blue state red with a 12-point swing. That's unheard of in politics. Youngkin's current approval number in Virginia is 57%. More people approve of him and the job he's doing than voted for. Joe Biden's approval number in Virginia is 40%. Far fewer people approve of Biden's job then voted for him. Moreover, Youngkin actually figured out how to unite rural MAGA voters and suburban women, even some Democrat women, even some Biden voting women. He literally bridged the urban-rural values divide we talk about on the program all the time. He also managed to inspire Trump voters without being Trumpy. I interviewed him just before his 2021 victory. You said rightly that a lot of this energy is from anger about President Biden. If President Trump had won re-election in 2020 and was president today, would you have a chance in a Biden plus 10 state? I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. What I do know right now, what I do right know right now is we're watching something really special happen. Hmm. And that was prophetic. Because his win was special. Virginia only allows a governor to serve one term, so Glenn Youngkin's a busy man. But not too busy to get to the Hamptons and meet Republican donors, as he has done, we understand, a number of times. Reports indicate the head of Fox News, the New York Post, and Wall Street Journal, none other than Rupert Murdoch, personally asked Youngkin to get into the presidential race. Of course he's a long shot. Betty Marcus right now put Youngkin at 66 to 1 to win the presidency. But he's also right now literally the only wild card. He is the only thing interesting about the Republican primary. Dr. Lauren Wright is here, associate research scholar and lecturer at Princeton University. Hey, it's good to see you. What makes Glenn Youngkin so different that even Rupert Murdoch is willing to ask him to get into a race with 
10 or 11 other Republicans? You know, I'm shocked that in the total absence of data, the assumption of donors and elites here is that Youngkin would somehow disrupt everything and sail through a primary when you said yourself, you know, in your intro, you had to introduce who he was, remind viewers who he is. Most people outside of Virginia are not familiar with him. And so to say a wild card is the very least of it. Boy, talk about raining on the lead of the show. Oh, it was pretty harsh. (laughs) Wow. uh, I I feel like like, I'm a student in Dr. Wright's class. Yikes. But then it took a turn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Wow. Okay. All right. So so you view Donald Trump as the inevitable nominee and, and nothing matters. Well, look. I mean, he's head and shoulders ahead of everyone else. And this is the Yunkin stuff is exactly what we were saying about Ron DeSantis when he pulled off a historic victory, the largest margin in 2022 and his reelection, 59 percent, even more than what Jeb Bush did in 2002 at 56 percent. People were saying very similar things about DeSantis in the absence of a lot of information about Ron DeSantis. And so I think there's a risk here of an information vacuum, someone jumping into the race at this late stage, and there's just not enough name recognition there when Trump is already far ahead. Yeah, he has some additional issues too, but I get it. He's, you know, what he accomplished in Virginia is incredible, but it's what he accomplished in Virginia, not nationally. All right, let me flip this around on you just a little bit, which is, the Republican electorate, even the diehard Republican electorate, forget swing voters, say they want somebody other than Donald Trump. Um, when you go out and talk to talk to them, especially in Iowa and New Hampshire, South Carolina, the states that really likely are going to be able to decide this even before Super Tuesday, maybe even Nevada as well, uh, they want somebody or at least open to somebody other than Donald Trump. Trump, Biden, unfavorability. Biden, horribly unfavorable. Uh, Trump, horribly unfavorable. Uh, both way underwater. 70% of Americans say they want somebody else. So there is a, there is a desire for somebody else. You make, a, you make an apt an apt point in terms of Glenn Youngkin not having name recognition. But if you think about Rupert Murdoch, and this can go both ways, right, that either he, he actually can turn the Republican electorate with Fox News, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Post, or it's meaningless, it's just an unknown. He has about the same approval rating in Virginia that DeSantis has in Florida. People in Florida love Ron DeSantis. I think that's the best comparison. Yes, there could be a surprise. It really is the absence of information. Um, you know, as far as head to head matchups, that would be absolutely unbelievably successful if Republicans chose a strategy in which they had a solid, popular governor versus Donald Trump. I agree with you. A lot of people would choose the alternative. At least 50 to 60 percent is what most polls show. Republicans do want an alternative. But there's eight people on this debate stage tonight. There's 11 running. There are just too many alternatives splitting the vote into too many different low percentages for anyone to take a shot at Trump. So if it was Yunkin versus Trump, okay, maybe. Maybe he'd spend a a few months introducing himself to the American public. Uh, But in this environment, in reality right now, there are too many people. Eight is way too many to beat Trump. Yeah. You know, we we start each segment when we lay our segments out in the morning with a thesis statement. And okay, yeah. I don't know, it's almost like a senior thesis. I, almost, I feel like yeah. I, I at least do I at least deserve a gentleman C? Come on. Oh, sure you do. Yeah. OK. You OK. Do. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All it right, was excellent. a clear right. thesis. <laughs> it's good to see you, Professor. Thank you. We'll talk soon <laughs> tonight on the debate stage, whether it's relevant or not what they say. You're going to hear a lot about the middle class. Sadly, that's a fixture of America's past. Not people talking about the middle class, but the actual middle class in America. Because the promise of the American dream, where people who work a standard job can afford to provide themselves and their family and build a better life for their kids, it doesn't exist anymore, which is sad. It's also terrifying for America, because that's one of the things that made America great. Think about it this way. Americans know it. 
because only 30% of Americans now believe in the American dream. The two main staples of the American dream, the family home and cars in the driveway, are out of reach for many of us. First housing, last month the mortgage payment for an average priced house in America came in at $2,600 a year. That's up 19% from last year and 92% since the pandemic. Wall Street Journal reports car prices might be unsustainable for buyers. Surging loan delinquencies, they report, signal that many consumers can't afford their auto loans. For the average American, paying off a new car at current prices demands 42 weeks of income. That's data from Cox Automotive that's up from around 33 weeks before the pandemic. So the American dream is slowly slipping away, and that's because we're losing the fundamental fairness of the American economy. President Biden likes to quote his dad, Joey, his dad would say, all you want is a middle class person's a little, a little bit of breathing room. And President Biden's right. There's no longer any breathing room. The Financial Times pointed out that in 1985, 40 weeks of the average American paycheck paid for food, home, health insurance, primary car, and college for kids. Today takes 62 weeks of the average income. And since 1985, the year has not changed. It still only has 52 weeks. In 1985, middle-class families had 12 weeks of breathing room. Now they have none. But don't worry. Because Harvard, yes, Harvard, has an answer for it all. Food stamps. Fuel your body and stock your pantry. Grad students may qualify to receive assistance paying for food and groceries. This helpful tweet brought to you by Harvard University and the David S. Rosenthal Center for Wellness and Health Promotion. We're going to get to David in a minute, but first, think about that. Harvard's endowment right now is over $50 billion. Undergraduate tuition is $55,000 a year. And the grad students who do most of the teaching, advising, and mentoring at Harvard are so underpaid that they're eligible for food stamps. Hardly seems fair. Chris Hahn hates things who are unfair. He's host of the Aggressive Progressive podcast uh, and is with us now. You know, Chris, it got me thinking, if only there was a, a senator from Massachusetts who fought for the middle class and could take away Harvard's tax-free status for their endowment, and could then enforce that Harvard pay a living wage to their grad students, who could that senator be? Well, when Senator Warren ran for president, as did Senator Sanders, a big part of their campaign was no one who works 40 hours a week should be on food stamps. And unfortunately in America, there is a good number of people who are working 40 hours a week. They're not just grad students at Harvard who probably have a very bright future ahead of them. There are people who are raising children across this country working for big corporations and not able to make ends meet. It is a big problem in America, which is why Senator Warren and Senator Sanders have pushed for not just a minimum wage, but a living wage for people who work full time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I get, the, I get the concept of living wage. What about going after the employers themselves? Okay, we know that if you, if we have a living wage, all that happens is, is prices go up. We've dealt with that. It's called inflation. Where is the enforcement by Senator Warren and Senator Sanders, who, who don't need to be president? They can do this as senator. They can take away the tax-free status of these endowments, and they can say that these universities can't can't rely on subsidies, both from the federal government for their tax-free endowments and subsidies for food stamps to pay their professors. You know, and I think it cuts both ways, Lee, and I agree. I mean, look, if, if they're getting these subsidies from the federal government, they should have that taken away to the amount that people are actually applying for food stamps. I think the same thing would go to a corporation that is doing tax write-offs on various expenses. If their employees are on food stamps and they're working 40 hours a week, we should take the money from them too, and that'll even everything out. I'm I'm for it. I think you're right. Yeah, all right. Well, we're going to mark the tape because I think this is the first time uh, that we've heard that. It just, it's, I, I'm, I'm actually stunned. I don't even have anything else to say. We still have no. 90 seconds left in the, well, left look, in the segment. Well, I had, I had, I had to make up for, I had to make up for Dr. Wright in the last segment, who was completely right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a very, it was very fun for me to watch. So. Man, I felt like I was back in college when you really, like you had something you were so proud of and then just, boom. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's why <laughs> she, we have people I mean, who are, I mean, she could have just said, she could have just, 
She could have just said, go out and touch grass, Leland. It's okay. It's, yeah. The world exists. It's going to be okay. Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> I think it was, you'd call it a fillane, um, in, in, to be generous. So, Chris, I appreciate you dusting me off. That's, yes. why we, that's, why, that's why there are friends in this world. It's good to see you. Exactly. Nice to see you, too. All right. Women are now the fastest growing group of gun owners in America. It's probably not surprising, but when you think about it, it's kind of stunning. In fact, 22% of women now own a gun. That's up 7% since 2015. And if you look at headlines from across the country, it looks like they're actually using themselves, using the guns to protect themselves and their families. As we began to come to the range on a regular basis, more and more women would see us and wanted to participate. I conceal carry because I want to feel safe. I want to be able to protect myself and protect those around me. No matter where I'm at, in the middle of nowhere or in the middle of town, I'm always safe. We're going to pause for a second while Emily Miller gets seated. She was the first woman in Washington, D.C. to get her concealed gun carry permit, which was a feat. It's now gotten easier in D.C. for women and everybody else to be able to get their guns. Uh, All right. This statistic surprise you? This statistic did not surprise me. And in fact, I checked in with the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is that represents all the gun dealers. And they know exactly who's coming in their stores and who's buying guns. And they said, starting in 2020, during COVID, during the lockdowns, during all the terrible strife in the cities, they started seeing one out of four people coming in the store were women buying guns. So it does not surprise me. And what happens is women, while all gun ownership has gone up, especially since the rise of 2020 and all the instability and the crime spike, people are buying guns to protect themselves. Women are buying guns to protect themselves. They're not depending on their husbands or boyfriends or to call the police. And we've seen lately people are starting to cover this more often, as opposed to just before these things were kind of buried. Now we're seeing it's being covered. We're seeing women, whether it's domestic violence, which is very common with women, an ex-husband or ex-boyfriend attacking them. They're protecting themselves. They're protecting their children. And What's, in, what's in telling about all of this is that women are shooting, they are drawing guns, they're shooting, and sometimes having, unfortunately having to kill someone through all this. That, but that's because they are, it's self-defense, and they're not getting yeah, charged. These are, these, are, these are a lot of the, the headlines that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, gun sale purchases up. U.S. gun sales, 60 million guns purchased 2020 to 2022. 18% of households bought a gun. 7.5 million became new gun owners between 2019 and 2021. 5% bought a gun for the first time during the pandemic. Yearly gun sales twice the level of 15 or 20 years ago. That's from our partners over at the Hill. and We thank them for the data. I think about this, though, just from a political standpoint, right, because you went through this in D.C., is that the very same people who don't want people to have as many guns and want more restrictions on guns are at the same time fueling and are driving the policies that in the end are convincing people who normally wouldn't have a gun, hadn't thought of getting a gun, to then go buy one. That's true. I mean, look, women overwhelmingly support more gun control laws. That's just a fact. And it's just, but it's, there's a counter to that, is that there's also women who say, instead of having more gun control laws, let me defend myself and my family because I can't call the police. I can't wait for my husband to come home. So there is this two-part of the, this how does this break? How does this break politically of, of women who say, and overwhelmingly women say, I want an assault weapons ban because they are afraid of school shootings for yes. their kids. But at the same time, they still oftentimes own or are out buying a firearm themselves. How do we explain that dichotomy? It, it is a little bit more complicated because um, women, as you said, support the assault weapon, so-called assault weapon ban. Um, they support more gun control laws. And that's because, uh, understandably, they hear about these gun school shootings and they think more gun control laws will reduce gun crime. I've been covering this issue for over 10 years. There has never been a gun control law that has reduced gun crime. Not one. And we've got thousands of We've got thousands of gun control laws on every level, and they don't. So that's an educational level. But what we've seen now is now that one quarter of all gun owners are women, we're seeing that they are using their guns and they're saving their own lives, and that's a good story. All right. It's great to see you. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up, some crazy news out of Russia. One of Vladimir Putin's key enemies reportedly, emphasis reportedly, died in a mysterious plane crash. 
Russian state media is reporting that Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner mercenary group, is listed as one of the passengers. Why is everyone so quick to believe Putin and so excited for someone's death? Plus, more COVID cover-up, both about how it started and about that Chinese biolab operating on U.S. soil. Why our government thinks we'll believe anything. Killed in a plane crash. The founder of the Wagner mercenary group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, was listed among the passengers. Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin was listed as one of the passengers on the plane. Hmm. It's rare you get any real surprises in late August, so you can forgive our competitors their excitement when news broke one of Vladimir Putin's closest and most powerful allies might have died in a plane crash. Truth is, we don't know if Yevgeny Prigozhin died, the Russians say so, but they say so many things that are rarely true. Prigozhin, also known as Putin's chef, led a coup against, well, Putin, exactly two months ago today. He ran a private military company called the Wagner Group, which did most of Putin's dirty work around the world, 62 years old, very rich, three jets, one large yacht, also spent a stint in jail for robbery and fraud. Dmitry Alperovich is here, co-founder and chairman of the Silverado Policy Accelerator, one of, if not the most astute Russian Putin analysts in the world right now, and we're always better for having you on. All right. Um, the only thing better than being a billionaire is being a billionaire who, who the world thinks is dead. Why are we so sure that Prigozhin's dead and not just up to another stunt? Well, you got a great point, Leland, because certainly there's not been a body identification yet. In fact, the Russians have said that the only thing they know is that he was on the plane because of the passenger manifest, but the bodies have not been identified. So it is possible that he faked his own death. I, I probably wouldn't put much credibility to that because this is the guy that loves media attention, likes, likes to be in the spotlight. So I just don't see him sipping away margaritas on a beach in the Maldives somewhere, but it's, it's possible. Hey, look, no, nothing's true, but everything's possible in Russia, right? So many of Vladimir Putin's uh, enemies have had sort of odd, odd deaths, shall we, shall we say, suspicious deaths. Are, are we to believe that Vladimir Putin is once again feeling the pressure of an inner circle, perhaps, that he's worried is turning on him? Obviously, Prigozhin did. Does he think Prigozhin's trying coup 2.0 or something? No, I don't think so. I, I think Prigozhin learned his lesson. He was clearly trying to win Putin's favor over the last two months, uh, showing his value to him by going to Africa and trying to support these coups in Niger and elsewhere uh, to spread Russian influence. So he was not trying to challenge him after that moment in June. Uh, but he also had a lot of enemies. Um, everyone's sort of jumping to the conclusion that if this is assassination, it was Putin. I'm not so sure because there's plenty of people in Russia that wanted him dead, not least of all the defense minister Shoigu, who he had a legendary rivalry with. All right. So tell us why, other than sort of the fascination of somebody blowing up a $30 million business jet and the idea of this ultra rich guy who was also a mercenary on and on who's who's dead the palace intrigue that reads like a james bond novel or something like that why should anybody care if the russians are killing each other off well certainly no one leland should be shedding any tears for this guy he was a thug he was a murderer he tortured people he had people killed with sledgehammers as you might recall so this was not a nice guy by any stretch of the imagination uh but uh, what happens to wagner now is actually really really important because this was the biggest paramilitary company in the world. It had a lot of influence in Africa. It was grabbing a lot of resources for Russia and Africa and for Prigozhin himself. So to the extent that it's going to be decimated after this, potentially, that's really important. And also, it was the most effective force that Russians had in Ukraine. So if Putin goes on the offensive again in Ukraine, he really wanted to have Wagner with him. Interesting. Also, another way to send a message to anybody who might not put Wagner with them is uh, here's what happens. To, here's what happens to your very nice business jet if you don't if you don't do what I tell you to. Dimitri, it's always good to see you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Today, the seldom right but never in doubt CDC posted a new risk assessment summary about COVID on their website, citing wastewater samples that showed some new variant of COVID. Uh, never to even waste a moment to spread. Some thoughts. CNN followed up with the news with friendly advice. 
it might be time to break out the masks against COVID, some experts say. Experts, right? Of course, trusting CNN and the CDC to be honest with us, give us good information about COVID, it's important, but it would be a lot easier if they were honest about where COVID came from. Seems basic, but very difficult. Even the Washington Post is coming around. In Wuhan, doctors knew the truth. They were told to keep quiet. It's a damning piece of reporting about China's COVID cover-up. You should read it. It appears the same type of cover-up is happening in California with a Chinese-owned biolab there. Code enforcers in the town of Reedley found some of the world's most dangerous diseases and infected mice in an unlicensed and undisclosed warehouse facility. We're talking about AIDS, hepatitis, COVID, and others. Once discovered, the Chinese owners of the lab split town. Kevin Kiley ran for governor a year ago, and Gavin Newsom in California tweeted this, I'm formally requesting an oversight hearing on the Chinese bioengineering lab operating secretly in California, which was kept from the public for nine months after its discovery. Health officials say they've never seen anything like the lab. A thousand mice genetically engineered to catch and carry the COVID-19 virus were found along with E. coli, malaria, and other agents. We need answers as to why the Newsom, meaning Gavin Newsom administration, offered $360,000 in funding to the company and told local officials to stay quiet after they discovered the lab. That last part, staying quiet, is always the telltale. With us now, Reedley City Manager Nicole Ziva. Nicole, appreciate you being back with us. Uh, were you really told to stay quiet? Uh, was I? Yes. Am I still? Yes. Um, and, and for good reason in parts, and in parts that's because we're still investigating a lot. Um, I think a concern I have is I'm a city manager of a small rural city of 25,000 people. Well, those 25,000 people are at my door saying, am I safe? Uh, what's going to happen to us? And and frankly, I would like the state government, I would like the federal government uh, to come out and assure the public that either they were never at risk or you know, what they're doing to make sure that a situation like this doesn't occur in any other city around this country right now. It's almost like they chose a small rural city with only 25,000 people without a biohazard team on the fire department. Uh, why Reedley, California for the Chinese to open up this lab? Oh, I think they underestimated us, little Reedley City, right? I like to call us the little Davy, the little David that slew Goliath with a rubber uh, garden hose. Um, so this this company, um, unbeknownst to me, was a known commodity in some other cities that got kicked out of these other cities. Ended up in Reedley. Well, we don't we don't kick cans down the road. So we ended up doing what needed to be done and and taking them out. I do believe that Reedley was a stop along the way. I don't think they were intending to be here uh, a long time. Um, have, they, they moved forgive in at forgive night. me. Forgive me, and we're going to have you back because this is such an important story. But do we have any more idea about who's actually behind this? Because so many people split town. The addresses all go back to China. Has the FBI been able to track any of these people down? Any luck? Well, you would get the the response of can neither confirm nor deny that investigation is going on, right? Um, but what I can tell you is my conversations with anybody who was a member of this lab and their company and their employees have all ceased. Once it went public, no more communications with uh, anybody in the company. I do not know where they are. Wow. All right. Um, we haven't heard the end of this, have we? I hope not. We need national change. This was a privately funded lab, which we're being told has very few regulations. I would hope uh, every elected official around this country right now is watching this and can say, we need to cross partisan lines. This is a bipartisan issue. It needs mm. to be fixed. Privately funded labs need some oversight, yeah. need some regulation. Now, the silence says everything uh, from, from, the, from the Newsom administration all the way, all the way up. Hey, it takes bravery to, to, to tell the truth. We're glad you're here doing it. Thank you. Thank you, Leland. All right. A hundred years ago, Ernest Hemingway predicted what's happening in American culture right now how rural values are taking over, and why politicians on both sides have no idea what to do. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Hard to believe it, but almost 100 years ago exactly, Ernest Hemingway explained our culture. In his breakthrough novel, The Sun Also Rises, Hemingway explained how the unthinkable happens. How did you go bankrupt? Two ways. Gradually, then suddenly. This is the same change we're seeing with the rule values takeover of the entertainment industry. Our friend Kurt Bardella pointed out Richmond North of Richmond became the first act to enter the Billboard Hot 100 at number one. It's ballad explaining the struggles of a factory worker. What the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is living in the new world. And Oliver Anthony, you see singing there, knows what it's like. He's a former factory worker. What's more, he's a self-described political centrist. The cultural movement in entertainment isn't about politics. It's about values. Take Spotify's most played list for the summer. For the first time, a country song is number one. Five of the top 20 are country songs, and it extends to the box office. Disney passed in a screenplay following the work of a devout Christian rescuing kids from sex trafficking. As the summer winds down, the sound of freedom sold more tickets than Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones and Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible. Yellowstone, the hit TV series about cowboys and men protecting women, is the number one show on cable. It'll air on CBS during the writer's strike. For years, the studio executives in Los Angeles and advertising executives in New York made fun of rural culture. Slowly, then suddenly, it took over. Beverly Hallberg is here, founder and president of District Media. Are we right to say that these are not about political values as much as they are about cultural and rural versus urban values? Absolutely. It is about the culture. And one of the things I've spent time on, several hours actually, is going through people who have YouTube channels listening to Oliver Anthony's song. People of different races, people who probably maybe even vote Democrat, but they watch these and they don't see a Trump voter when they listen to his song. The thing that I overheard time and time again was this man gets it. He, this man has struggled. We understand the struggle. And you found these YouTube influencers talking about how their dollar doesn't go as far, how it's taxed too much, how they can't buy groceries. And the line that really resonated with people when is when he said, people like me and people like you. And you had black Americans watching this saying, this is my guy and we need to protect him at all costs. So I think the elite want to make this purely about a racial divide in our country. But I think it's culture and it's people who are struggling that come together. All right. So expand this going forward. Right. We you know, Jason Aldean is likely to headline uh, the RNC with try that in a small town. Uh, but but to take us out of the political sense for a second and put us in the cultural sense, where where does this go? And I do see I just want to say I see Oliver Anthony is different than Jason Aldean because Jason Aldean has a it's entertainment label behind him. He has money behind him. It's highly produced, not saying that people shouldn't like his message. But when you see Oliver Anthony, where he makes this music himself, he plays it himself. He's there in the, the woods where he lives with his dogs behind him. I think there's something so sincere and authentic about that. And I think people are resonating with this man means what he says. So I think where this goes is I I believe we're still going to see Hollywood and some of the elite try to hold on to what they think entertainment should look like. But here's the thing. The entertainment industry is a business industry. It does come down to the dollar and the dollar is going elsewhere and they're going to have to pay attention. Feels like the music industry is also paying attention now just sort of by by the sheer amount of money that is flowing into the country music acts. Uh, Oliver Anthony is a little different because as you point out, he's he's just a guy with a guitar to sort of skewing that part of the music industry. But but again, I, I, I think about this culturally because obviously we've got Yellowstone now being picked up by CBS, Tyler Sheridan, on and on and on. Uh, the guy who created Yellowstone has had all gone on to all these other successes. But the rural, the rural urban divide in America, and now we'll bring it back to politics, I don't think there's a candidate yet in 2024 who has figured out how to bridge that, is there? 
I, I don't think they have yet. And I, I think what we are seeing, as you mentioned this word culture, I think it comes down to that. There seems to be a nostalgia for old America, the way way it used to be. I'll even use COVID as an example. You saw young people leaving cities, wanting to start, buy dirt, start their own farm. People are um, making their own beer. People are growing their own food. So I think there's this desire to get back to just the fundamentals of yeah, life. Yeah, I know. I've, I've that, heard that. There, there's that old line, though, right, about, you know, I don't want to go back to the way things were. I want to go back to the way the past deals with the future. I don't want to go back to the past. And so far, there's candidates who are trying to to, to hit this on the head, right? And, and most notably, it would be Ron DeSantis, I think you'd have to say, who's tried to pick these fights the most, uh, the most deeply or the most uh, aggressively. But it doesn't work. And I'm wondering, what is it that both Republicans and Democrats aren't picking up on in this cultural revolution that's now happened over the summer. Yeah, and I would say Ron DeSantis, the way he presents it often can be divisive to people who don't agree with all of his politics. I think the person who seems to be hitting a better tone with Americans is Tim Scott, who's running for the Republican nomination. He is somebody, first of all, who has said, I'm not going to be attacking people. I'm going to be a happy warrior. I'm going to talk about hope. But his message is is talking about how he was raised. He calls it going from cotton to Congress, his life story. And I think that there, what people want to be drawn to is, I want to be able to have a good job in America and make it not struggle as much and have the opportunity to to make a better life for myself Mm. and a better life for my kids. And so I think he's one who's tapping into that culture. This isn't just about what Disney does. This is about a way of life. And I think that's something that Tim Scott is doing. Hmm. Beverly Hallberg's no surprise you're from South Carolina talking about (laughs) South Carolina's favorite son. We'll leave it there. Beverly, thank you. It's good to see you as always. Good to see you. Thanks. Yes, ma'am. Donald Trump went from the most accessible presidential candidate in history to a man unwilling to talk to anybody. How his new strategy might win the nomination, but cost him the general election. My name is Michael Houston, Navy veteran and VFW Post Service Officer. I'm encouraging all United States military veterans and active duty members to take advantage of the many benefits and privileges you've earned by serving our great country. Please reach out to a veteran service officer or your local VFW. You served your country. Now let your country serve you. For more information, call 800-827-1000 or visit Benefits.gov. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad You're the GOAT You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit AdoptUSKids.org Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Adopt U.S. Kids and the Ad Council Want to get out of just about anything and look like an earth-saving hero? Just use the environment excuse. High school reunion? Sorry, can't. Planetary obligations. Unfortunate bridesmaids dress? Unfortunately, you promised the climate you'd buy more vintage. Chauffeuring teens? The earth really needs them to hoof it. The environment is always the best excuse. Find your out and opt in to cutting carbon. Just visit theenvironmentexcuse.org. Brought to you by WildAid. Hello, I'm Kate Levy. When I was just 10 years old, I lost my father, Joe, in the 9-11 attacks at the World Trade Center. He was a lieutenant in the New York City Fire Department. For 9-11 this year, now a National Day of Service, I'll be doing what my dad loved to do, helping others in need. Please join me by doing your own good deed that day. Visit 911day.org to learn more. Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. 
At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe, safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org. With more than 5,000 journalists working for you in newsrooms coast to coast, this is News Nation, America's fastest growing news channel. At the Veterans Health Administration, we provide life changing care to over 9 million veterans across more than 1,200 facilities nationwide. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand to provide full patient-centered care. And where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. I thought it was a rash, but my doctor said it was a tick bite. Ticks can spread Lyme disease and other illnesses leading to chronic health issues. My brother was always having asthma flare-ups. A roach problem at home was causing it. Allergens left behind by roaches and rodents are a major driver of asthma attacks. When I had a fever and body aches, I never thought it was West Nile virus. Mosquitoes breed in standing water and can spread serious diseases. Get the facts at PestWorld.org. A public service message brought to you by the National Pest Management Association. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov Nobody has even a chance no, oh, you heard the cheers right there. Just a preview of what we will likely hear from Donald Trump tomorrow when he turns himself in to face charges in Georgia. Reasonable people can agree. Playing the persecuted warrior works quite well for Donald Trump with Republican primary voters. At a similar point in the nominating process, he has a commanding lead like that of Hillary Clinton in 2016, George W. Bush in, 20, in, 20, in 2000. Nobody in modern American political history enjoyed this kind of primary lead at this point and blew it. So by all accounts, Donald Trump is most likely to be the Republican nominee. Jason Miller's here, senior advisor to Mr. Trump. All right, Jason, we we know what the playbook is going to be for for Georgia. I get why it works with Republican primary voters to swing voters in North Carolina, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, really care about how many indictments there are against the former president? Well, Leland, great to be with you this evening. If you take a look at the most recent polling data from premise data, you would see the voters are actually rejecting this insurance policy from Joe Biden and from the rest of his Democratic prosecutors. They get that all of this is happening because President Trump is beating Joe Biden in the polls, that Biden is freaked out because uh, inflation rates are going through the roof and his entire presidency is disaster. President Trump says he wants to come back and get the economy back to where it was just a couple of years ago when everybody was better off. So whether it's the primary where the president's leading 62 to 16, that's a big number. Even you'd have to admit, you're looking at the general election where he's beating Joe Biden at the moment. Uh, I think voters see what this is, which is a weaponization of the justice system. Right, we, 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 we just agreed with you that he's leading by, by double digits and he's likely to be the nominee. Just look back uh, in history. I, I I go to this issue, though. You just said voters care about inflation. They care about pocketbook issues. They care about national security. And yet that's not what we hear from former President Trump most of the time that he talks to the press when he does talk to the press. Uh, Leland, I, I got to get, get to get you plugged in more with President Trump. He's talking about policy issues. You go to the Agenda 47 issues that are on his webpage right now. You listen to him at the rallies. He's laying out a very bold policy agenda where he can take action on day one. Some of the other folks who are running for president say they need four years or eight years to get anything done. President Trump's ready to do it on day one because he's done it. Whether we get the energy exploration going, seal our border, stop the killing in Ukraine, he doesn't need a warm-up session for that. He's ready to do it right now. That's what voters care about. And the fact of the matter is people are angry. You you get no argument that that's what voters... 
Yeah, no, but go ahead. one other uh, quick thing. Why do you think the Democrats, why do you think the Democrats just yesterday launched a $25 million ad buy, the earliest and largest ad buy of this kind for an incumbent president in U.S. history? Because they're panicked. Their numbers with okay. African-American voters Look, in the I, tank, their numbers I, with Hispanic-American voters in the tank, we've reported on all that, they're Jason. Out. Look, you said we got to get more plugged in with President Trump. I'd love to be more plugged in. I'd love to be able to come interview him. Love to have met, seen him at the Iowa State Fair and talk to him in a gaggle, except there wasn't a gaggle. Um, he's, he's no longer the guy. You and, I, you and I were out of the campaign trail, 2015, 2016. He would talk to everybody. He'd do interviews with everybody. He'd stand there and work the rope line at the White House until we ran out of questions. Where, where's the guy who was unafraid to talk to any reporter now? Leland, President Trump talks to more reporters with tougher interviews and tougher situations than oh, any other on, candidate Jason. in the field combined. Where do you go to the when you go to the CNN town hall, the constant gaggles that he's doing? President Trump has taken the tough ones head on. Oh, come on, Jay, Jason, Jason, you're to Jason, you're entitled. You're no, no, Jason, come on. Come on, you and I both you and I both know it's a totally different candidate, a totally different media strategy than 2015, 2016, even 2020, and when when he was president, he did one CNN town hall, didn't do a gaggle or work a rope line of reporters in Iowa. I was at the state fair with him. Uh, we've put in countless interview Leland, requests. There are Come on. Hundreds. Leland, Leland, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures of President Trump shaking hands, being cheered on by supporters. He gaggled with reporters at the airport. It took tough questions, didn't duck anything, took it head on. I, I think you're, respectfully speaking, I think you're living in an alternative universe here. President Trump is the most accessible, most transparent presidential <laughs> candidate in history. That's why That's why you set him apart. Look, from Jason, I would have Jason, I agreed with they, you. They got to have their Jason, they have their consultants put things together. Jason, he takes a head come on. Come on, Jay, Jason. Jason, I, I would agree with you in 2015 and 2016. He was. We were both there. I remember it. He would talk to anybody. That's just not who he is right now. You, know, you, you can give me a different reason. You can say it's because all reporters want to talk about is indictment, indictments, indictments, and aren't asking about real, re real questions. You can say it's because the media is more hostile to him. You can, Leland, you can answer Leland, a lot of different I ways. I didn't say any of that. But the I fact didn't say of the matter is, is he. I, I said President I know you Trump did, but the fact of the matter is, he's not the most <laughs> accessible You're presidential saying candidate. That I, right now. I didn't say, Leland. <laughs> no, no I, I'm Leland, saying you could look, say that. President all of Trump, that would be President accurate. President Trump is. Jason. Okay. Uh, you you get the last word. Go ahead. President Trump has taken on all comers. Uh, okay. No, President Trump is on the trail. He's ready to take it to Joe Biden right now. That's why the Democrats are in a panic. And just a real simple question, Leland. Even you were better off three years ago or better off now? You're better off three years ago. You had a lot more money in your bank account. Everybody was doing better. Gas was cheaper. Gas was at like $1.75 a gallon. Now look at what you're paying. There was no killing in Ukraine. Now people are getting killed every single day. That's going to change when President mm -hmm. Trump gets back to the White House. No, you, you're, you're, you're making the pivot to the general election. This is the preview uh, if President Trump is the nominee. And it, look, it's a powerful argument in terms of what in terms of what the polling shows and where the American people are. It's good to see you as always. Thank you. Well, and, and when you're ahead by 50 points, Leland, you can do that. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll see you soon. After I lost my mom, I lost my way. Then I found youth advocate programs, yet yeah, behavioral health services. As a little kid, I made some mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. YAP gives communities alternatives to residential care, youth incarceration, and neighborhood violence. After completing our program, nearly 90% of participants remain in their community. YAP works. I'm working towards a bright future. Youth advocate programs. Others talk social change. We make it happen. Learn more at yapinc.org. When it comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. Heather and I had an argument just like any other couple. I was lost. I had snapped. I had a gun, and I was going to take my own life. Heather helped me realize that there was still a life to live for the better of myself, my family. My weapon is now safely put away. A moment of crisis can happen to anyone. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping us safe in dangerous times. It's critical that we keep AM radio in cars, because when cell and internet services are down, this free emergency service could be your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. 
faves. What are you doing? What? I'm just mowing the lawn. No, it's blazing hot and dry out here. Don't you remember? Smokey Bear says. Avoid using power equipment when it's windy or dry. Where'd you learn this? Oh, it's on SmokeyBear.com with many other wildfire prevention tips. Right. Thanks, honey bear. Because remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Being an Army Ranger is a very fast-paced lifestyle. I was clearing a weapons cache in Haditha, Iraq, when the building collapsed on me, burying me alive. I spent six months in the hospital and a year of recovery. When I was separated from the military, I just felt like I was useless because I only had this one thing that I was supposed to do, and then that one thing was taken away from me. But then one day, I got a call from Wounded Warrior Project. They asked me to come to a workout, and I decided that I was gonna get better, both physically and mentally. Now I'm a warrior leader. I create events and opportunities for other veterans locally. Wounded Warrior Project did a phenomenal job reminding me that my injuries aren't going to define who I am. And because of that, I can do anything that I want. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. This is Cuomo on News Nation's audio stream, available 24-7 on the News Nation app, or just say, Alexa, play News Nation. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you, as a police officer, we're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere, so the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment, If not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. You can always come up with an excuse for not visiting longtermcare.gov. Oh, I forgot. Game night. After all, who wants to admit that one day they will be, you know, old? Hey, do you see any crow's feet on this face? I don't. But since 70% of older Americans need some kind of long-term care, why not do some free planning now so you can stay in charge? Visit longtermcare.gov and find your own path forward. Chris. Ozempic and similar drugs